Uh, good morning. Saint, good morning. <laughs> I'm getting thumbs up and a roar, 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 roar. <laughs> This is a delight and it is strange. Um, but here we are. As I've been thinking more about what it means for us to be the people of God, to be the sons and daughters of a living, loving God, being a community that doesn't exist just for the betterment of itself, and reflecting again about uh, you know, a world that we live in right now where things feel disorientated and in discomfort, and there's just so much upheaval. I was grabbed by these words, and I, I had posted them on the weekend for us. They come from an Irish writer named Paul Kingsnorth. He, he says this, there's the great tides of current affairs in history will roll on with or without us. What we have the power to do is to work in our own small spheres and in our internal and local landscapes. Using this power is often more effective in the end than the short bursts of public rage that rise and fall through the ages. We are regularly guilt-tripped into taking part in the meta-narratives of others. It says this, what happens if we do what we can with what is within and respond to the communities in which we actually live? The still small voice is always waiting to be heard. St. Clair, we, we keep on gathering, we keep on praying, we keep on serving, we keep on loving, that we too would hear the still small voice of the one who calls us beloved. And I mean, I just can't get away from Peter's words where he just says to Jesus, where else would we go? What else would we do? You have the eternal words of life. And so that's why we keep at this. The scripture that Sarah had read for us comes from 1 John, and it's a letter that reminds us that God is love. And that we love him because he first loved us. And so we keep on together that we could be witnesses of the love of God displayed in and through one another. And it's this notion of witness that I think is so uniquely expressed in this letter of 1 John. And as I thought about and I sort of pondered about what is it to be a witness to something, strangely enough, I couldn't help but think of... uh, this is out of left field. The Canadian snowbirds. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, like the, the planes, right? The little red, white, blue planes that with like amazing choreography fly through the sky. And it, it's totally mesmerizing. It's staggering what they can pull off. And it was earlier this year, Mother's Day. Uh, I'm with Jen, my wife, and her parents walking up on the mountain. I remember it was uh, a a rainy day, and all of a sudden, in the distance, I heard a rumble. And then what seemed like out of nowhere, these planes just emerged above the sky. It was like they were rising up from the escarpment. And then they came up above the skyline of houses, and lo and behold, it was these snowbirds. And I was totally captivated. I was like mesmerized. This was just amazing to me, because I actually remember seeing these as a kid, and I just 
did not expect in this moment the snowbirds of all things to be soaring over Hamilton. And I, I stopped everything, which was only just walking in the moment, but I just had to be a witness to it. And I was with Jen and her parents, and I was like, guys, guys, guys are you seeing this? Like, you've got to witness this. And of course they're seeing it, but I wasn't quite convinced that they were in it as much as I was. It really, it just, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. It was, it's, you know, being able to kind of give witness to just this moment where it, it felt like time stood still for just a little bit. And being able to then say, I found afterwards, I was bringing it up in conversation with others, be like, did you see the snowboards? Did, did you witness it too? Like I was trying to figure out who else got to see this moment or was I just the only one in the city of Hamilton who witnessed this miraculous moment? It, I, I mean, it's like the, the moment when you're not with your friends and something amazing or funny happens and then they kind of come back and be like, oh man, you should have seen it. You should have been there. That's the time I felt like I was on the end of something having witnessed this. And then it wasn't long later that in the news uh, it came up, the snowbirds weren't just doing a Hamilton flyby, they're going across the country doing a salute for COVID workers who are on the front lines called Operation Inspiration. And it was actually tragic and sad that one of the pilots had a fatal crash out west. And when I heard the news of that, it actually gripped me because I was like, I saw that pilot. Like in our own backyard, I, I witnessed them, and now there was a real sense of loss as much as I could in that respect because it felt like I was a part of something, and I, I gave witness to it. John, in First John, he speaks about this thing of witness. He, that's his appeal. That's how he's opening this letter. The very first words carry that same kind of tone of saying that feeling of, you should have seen it. But the thing he's talking about is the life. He says, the life appeared. So the life which was from the beginning, the eternal life, the life that was with the Father, life through whom all things are made, the life that holds everything together, the life of all lives, it appeared to us. Guys, you should have seen it. But thankfully, John doesn't stop there and be like, well, I'm glad I got to see it, and too bad you weren't at the right time, the right place. No, he goes on to say, oh, no, no. But we're telling you about what we've seen, and we know that you have seen it too, that you have been a witness to it. He says, we have heard, we're, t- we're telling you what we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. John is emphatic to say that what has been made known to him is also being made known to his readers and ultimately to us. And that together we are witnesses of the same life that has appeared. It did not appear and then sort of disappear 
Rather, Jesus, the life, the word of life, the one who is eternal, never ceasing to exist, never halting from revealing himself, never hiding, never turning away, is constantly making himself known through his spirit. The appearing work of Jesus is never done. In this letter of 1 John, scholars credit John as being the writer of it. Go figure. The same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the same John who was counted himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the same John who wrote the three epistles of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the same John who wrote the book of Revelation. And do you notice, does there, is there something in what you're hearing here in this opening words of this letter that sounds familiar? Here again, the opening words of the Gospel of John. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. In case you weren't sure, John is pretty sure that Jesus appearing to him was not just an inspiring prophet or a good moral teacher or a wise spiritual instructor or a compelling religious figure or a persuasive political personality. No, John is talking about the life force of the world has come so close that he himself could see it, could hear it, could touch it, because it is God who has become one of us. The light of the world was being revealed through Jesus, and it changed everything. John is appealing to those who are witnesses to the same things that he has seen and heard, though, and their lives have been radically changed and transformed by the love of God. But he's got some weight to his claim, because he saw it in first person, in real time. But John is writing to people who were not there alongside him to see it like, and touch and hear Jesus like he did, yet they know the same Jesus, that they too have been marked by him, and they are witnesses as well of the nearness of God in their own lives. We're talking about First John. That's a, a book that we're going to spend some time in as a community over the next while. The context of this letter for John is that he's writing to, a Jewish, to Jewish Christians that were part of a network of house churches, of house communities that have gone through a crisis. Perhaps that's relevant for us. The crisis was that a group of people had broken off from the church and that they were now denying that Jesus was the Son of God and were creating hostility towards those who were staying faithful to the church. And so John is reaching out to these house churches, reminding them of what is most essential, what's most critical, what is non-negotiable, what is bedrock about their faith. And so it's actually during this COVID time that a few of us over and over kind of heard the words of 1 John come up again and again, and they seemed like the right reminder at the right time about what is essential for our life with God. 
And so we're spending our weeks kind of thumbing through the book of 1 John between now and Advent so that we can hear its relevance, hear its timeliness, and just catch the profound simplicity of what John has in his writings. It's not a long book. You could sit and read it or even listen to it probably 20 minutes. We would encourage you to do so. And to actually do that repeatedly, because there's this brilliant sort of nuance that John has in the layering of what he does, that on a first read, it's incredibly simple, but then as you see what he's doing over and over again, there's a masterful way that he's revealing more of who Jesus is. As we're told elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of God's being. That there is no separation between Jesus' words and his actual life. His very life is the embodiment of his teachings. And so when we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, what it is to be a disciple, we mean that in the fullest possible sense that we are seeking, seeking to learn to live the life of Jesus. Not just do what he says, We want to do the things that Jesus did the way Jesus did them. That's our our lens for discipleship. And it's this incredible mystery that's taking place that the same spirit that was in Jesus is in us to do the same. And this isn't like a heroic kind of spiritual effort in our lives. It's this actual divine exchange where our life is merging into God and God is merging into our life. That's the sort of participation that we get to be part of in the life of being a disciple. And John, in, in chapter 3, he says, We know that when Christ appears again, we shall be like him. That there is a likeness of our life that begins to kind of blur the lines between who we are and who Christ is and who Christ has made us to be. And that one day we will carry the likeness and the representation and and the spirit of Jesus will be seen through our life. We get to be participants, not passive observers, active witnesses to our life becoming more like his. But how do we actually live out being witnesses of this grace in our lives in everyday practical ways? For that, we would love to implore you to consider a rule of life. I don't know if that is familiar to you. I'm only going to tease that for us now. Uh, This week, we're going to offer more posting online on our website with some uh, guidance and instruction on what a rule of life can look like for our lives and to consider that an invitation in this season. But let me say briefly that a rule of life helps us learn how to live within our limits. By limits, we don't mean how, kind of how to survive in like a COVID restriction limit mode, but the kind of limits that help us live with a deep focus of, of a flourishing life, to have healthy habits and rhythms, discovering God is an infinite resource through our finite abilities. Andy Crouch says this, says, rule of life is a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. It's a way of living with intention, by design, so that we may be grounded from a deep center, not becoming divided and distracted and depleted in all that we do. That sounds like a good life to me. 
without something like a rule of life, I actually think it's incredibly hard to know what thriving and flourishing is in life with Jesus. We've shared this before, but it's worth saying again. John Tyson says this, I am basically convinced that without a shared rule of life based on tangible practices, discipleship won't happen in a Western context. Radical individualism and consumerism are simply too overwhelming as seductive forces for individual Christians to resist. And so we think there is something to an intentional way of living together that orientates our life on to Jesus. It's about taking Jesus at his word when he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then we shape our life according to his in actual, practical, real ways. We say it all the time that for us, discipleship is about learning to live the life of Jesus. And I think much of the Christian life is a discipline of discovering delight. We don't want to live by rules for rules sake. I, I don't want that. I'd be surprised if you want that. The rule of life is capturing something different. It is this full-hearted embrace of living the life of Jesus and channeling and focusing ourselves to discover God's delight. We've shared this before, but I'll offer it again. G.K. Chesterton says, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give good things room to run wild. That's the kind of life that we want to live into. As we prepare to take communion together, you may have noticed, if, if you're familiar with First John, he says over and over, he keeps appealing to his listeners by saying, dear children, or even says, little children. And he says that a few times with this great affection that he longs that they would be witnesses to what he has seen. That he would say, guys, you've got to see this. The life has appeared. And so it's, it's actually with the same tactileness of our senses of touch and smell and taste and sight that we give witness every week to the work of God in our lives through taking bread and through taking juice together. Matt is going to lead us. For those of us who were able to be in person this morning, our communion was done with prepackaged individual juice and wafer. We'd never done this before, but we now know that it tastes like styrofoam and cough syrup. So we're going to work that one out <laughs> as we work towards what it is to be in person together. If you didn't catch it at the start this morning, there's less than 20 of us in this Ryerson building. This was sort of a test run for us to figure out a, a multi-stage kind of plan of how we could be in person together. It was very important to us that we could do that in a safe way. This is our first step. This is the first time we've, we've been able to be in the Ryerson building. Ryerson has been so wonderful to us in, in just sort of working out a partnership that would allow us to be able to be here. And they have moved their gathering around so that we could at least be in this room in an every other week capacity. Our live stream will keep on every week, uh, but you'll see us in this place every other week. 
And we're working out a timeline that would be between now and Christmas that would help us work towards a safe plan that more of us could gather together in person. Uh, but we want to be able to give, everything is tentative these days, but we want to be able to give a tentative timeline tonight at our family meeting. So if you didn't already know, we have a Zoom call at 7.30 this evening. The links will um, be available this afternoon for us. And that's in updating us on a whole bunch of important things for our community right now. One of which is, is what these gatherings will be for us in the coming weeks. So, I, th I think that's the nitty gritty. St. Clair, St. Clair, uh, as we look to go, as we are being witnesses to the loving, living God, to take John's words where he says, dear children, keep on in him. So St. Clair, would you receive the life of all lives in the inner landscape of your own life? Would you live the life of all lives in the small spheres of your homes? And would you give away the life of all lives for the sake of the world? Go in peace and we will see you soon.